This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. You can go ahead and have a seat, but would you please join me in prayer as you do so. God, every time we get to sing of your goodness and your amazing love for us and how that we are your children and all the wonderful things that you have done for us through your Son. Every time we think about that, we're so blessed. Thank you for this time of communion and worship and and lifting our hearts to you and just pledging our lives to you. And right now, God, we take our hearts and we open them and say, speak into our lives what is true, that we might leave from this place in a few moments with a better understanding of who you are a better understanding of who we are, and a better understanding of how you want to partner with us in this life. We bless you for all of it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Good morning. How are you? That's awesome. Would you, yes, would you give me a couple of minutes as I put my stuff together here? I have all sorts of goodies to All right, I'm ready to talk. Are you ready to listen? Okay, for those of you who are brand new, my name is Ron. I am the founding pastor of our church and blessed to still be on the staff. I have so much fun getting to teach you periodically and uh, it was fun to to teach you last week and uh, I know some of you came back for the sequel to that because uh, we inadvertently gave you a sneak peek. So there you go. We're going to talk a little bit about the rest of the story today. For those of you who are brand new, there are a couple of things in your program that will be very helpful for you. The first is the long, tall, skinny card that says start here on one side, and on the other side it says connect card. Here's how church works best. Church is actually designed to be a partnership between the people and the pastoral staff. And that card, as much as anything else, enables us to partner with you. So uh, we use it every week, all of us who come. So on the front side, if you will take a a moment to put your name and contact information in there. Then on the back side, there are places for you to, uh, if you want information about a particular service or ministry our church does, if you want to sign up for something that our church is doing, If there's something going on in your life that you would like for the staff to pray about, we love to do that as well. There's even a place there for you to indicate how you're going to respond and apply what I'm talking to you about today. And uh, so all of that happens through that card. So put your name and and contact information at the end of the service. We will be collecting those. And then uh, throughout the week, the pastoral staff will follow up on anything you put on there. So... There's that. The second thing you want to pull out is the sheet of teaching notes. Because it's at New Life, every Sunday's a learning Sunday. So you're going to learn some stuff and, and you're going to be able to take it with you. And then all sorts of studies done and things you write down, you'll remember a lot more than things you just hear. So we want you to be able to learn. So that's why we give you teaching notes every single week. And we leave out a few of the important words just to make sure you're not snoozing. So that's how that works. We are in a teaching series called Love Actually. 
And it's a series about marriage. And, I, and as I did last Sunday, I want to give a caveat at the very beginning because I don't want to deal out everybody in our audience who's not married. So you can just snooze and go, well, that didn't apply to me. Because everything I'm going to teach you today, I'll, I'll give illustrations and so forth in the context of marriage, but it actually fits any relationship anywhere at any time. So this is just really good relationship building skills, although we're applying it on the inside of marriage. Several weeks ago, Pastor Kevin began this series with a wonderful message in which he laid out an important principle that is the foundation for everything we've been talking about. And that is the idea behind marriage, God's idea behind marriage, was never the contract sort of thing where you have your stuff and you do your stuff and I have my stuff and I'll do my stuff and if you stay out of my stuff and I stay out of your stuff, we can stay married. It's all about staying. You got it, right? The problem is you'll be stuck in that marriage. It won't be a whole lot of fun. There might not be a whole lot of conflict, but there won't be a whole lot of richness to it. And so last Sunday, we started taking the wrappings off. What is it that actually makes a marriage rich? And, and the title of the message was, Love Actually, remember the, the next word? Talks. Talks, yeah. And one of the things that we learned is that conversations are the building blocks of every relationship. You can't build a relationship by Googling someone and learning about them. That's not going to bond you to them. That's not going to build richness. And we talked about five different levels of conversation And the last three, feelings and opinions and thoughts and and needs, we talked about those, and I gave you three words that apply to those. And the first is the word rich, because it's when we have conversations at levels three, four, and five. And if you weren't here last week, pull up the podcast and listen to it. It will give you some context for that. But it's when we have conversations at levels three, four, and five, that our marriage can actually get rich. We also talked about the fact that there was a risk involved in that because when we start talking at that level, there's the, there's the possibility that we might lay out a feeling and it might not get validated at all by our spouse. Have you ever had, have you ever plopped where you said something that was really important and it landed and no one commented on it? And then just moved on. How'd you feel? Yeah, you you felt abandoned out there on the because you laid out something that was really important and nobody valued it. There's all sorts of ways that when we get to levels three, four, and five, where we are the most transparent, we are the most vulnerable. There's the highest level of risk. We also talked about the word sparks. That that's oftentimes when we can come at loggerheads. Now God's idea behind marriage. We illustrated with this board. God said that, that men and women would leave their home of origin and they would be joined together and the two would become one flesh. And I took this board and I showed you it's actually two boards that have been inseparably joined together. They have been bonded right here. And the bond is so tight that if you were to put stress on this and actually break the board, it would not break where it's bonded it's as if each of the boards were saying, our bond is so tight that if you put stress on us, one of us or the other will break 
but you will not break us. And so today, we're going to talk about, when we talk about levels three, four, and five, we talked about why we talk, because conversations build relationships. We talked about what we talk about, levels three, four, and five is where it gets rich. Today, we're going to talk about how we talk about levels three, four, and five. Because as my grandfather used to say, Ron, you can be right as heaven about something, but wrong as hell in the way you go about it. I've never forgotten that. Can you tell? It stinks to be right as heaven and wrong as hell at the same time, all right? That never gets us the results we want. So today we're going to talk about how do we talk about these things. I want to begin with a statement that John Maxwell a great leadership mentor made at last year's Global Leadership Summit. I'm going to modify the quote just a tiny bit. Here's how John Maxwell said it. Everything worthwhile in life is uphill. I'm going to say everything worthwhile in life is upstream. Same, same concept, but it ties into the sermon a little bit later. You need to understand that. Everything worthwhile in life is actually upstream. Now, that does that seem fair? No, it doesn't seem fair, and it's not fun. But you and I both know that anything we get that requires no work and no effort from us, in the end, is very seldom very valuable to us either, correct? And everything that we have to work hard for, and everything we have to strive for, and put effort into, when we achieve it, it feels amazing. So there's a flip side to this that's good. But just so you know, I'm not just making this up. Jesus himself said this to us. In Matthew chapter 7, he said, The gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult. Now, that's not because God hates us. That's not because God was trying to hide the gateway to life, so he stuck it somewhere in a corner where only a select few would ever find it, and because he doesn't really like us. The truth is, God wanted you to know that that's how life turns out because there's sin in our world. So he says to us up front, I want to tell you that the gateway to life is very narrow. So that means a couple of things. Number one, it means that you have to be looking for it or you'll miss it. Got it? So if you're going through life and you're just snoozing, you're going to go right past the gateway to life and you won't even realize that you passed it. So you have to be looking. The good news is you're at church. That means you are looking. Got it? Yep. All right. The second thing, you have to be selective. There are lots of gates in life, and you actually have to read the label because the gateway to life is narrow, but it is labeled. So you have to be looking and selective. And the second thing that Jesus said is it's difficult. In other words, it's not easy or natural, but it's well worth the effort that you and I put into it. So that's the truth that Jesus declares about life. Today we're going to press into two reasons why everything that's worthwhile in life is upstream. And the first reason is that you and I have a broken nature. The Bible's very clear and upfront about that. And the more that you and I understand that we have a broken nature, the more capable we are of actually living successfully with that broken nature. So here's how James puts it when he talks to us about what's going on on the inside of us. 
James says it like this. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Stop right there. Most of us think, I know what's causing the courts and f- the, the, the quarrels and fights. Him. Her. And usually that's where our analytic powers stop. Once we have decided it's them, we're all done. Our step is clean. James says, not so fast, my friend. Let's read the rest of the verse. Don't they come from the, the next two words are evil desires. Circle those, put a circle around those two words. And then he says they're at war. And then he says a really interesting thing. Within you, circle those. Now, the Bible's clear about your nature. You and I have been created in the image of God, which is an amazing thing. It's what separates us from all other creatures on the face of planet Earth. We bear the image of God. We are good people. But don't for a minute think that we are so good that we never have evil desires. If you're honest with yourself... There have been multiple times in life where you were glad no one could read your mind. Right? Yep. Because as good as we are, we all have evil desires. And James says that's what causes the quarrels. There's a little cartoon strip years ago, and I only remember one of the cartoons, but there's a little, little animal creature called Pogo in the cartoon. And I'll never forget what he said one day. He said, we have found the enemy and he is us. I can't tell you how many times I think of that in the course of life. When I'm looking for the enemy, I don't usually have to look real far. Because I tend to find the enemy, and it's us. That's exactly what James is saying. We have met the enemy, and it's us. How could we be the enemy? Well, everything worthwhile is upstream. So if you want to know where we are, we tend to, you have to look at the downstream current in your life. And one of the downstream currents that we all have is this tendency to be self-absorbed and put ourselves first. If you've ever given birth to a child, this needs no explanation. Kids come wired with me first. It's their only concern for a long time. Yeah. We never actually leave that. We get better at covering it. We get better at not just exposing it all the time. But there's this tendency that we have when it comes to opinions. Whose opinion is the most important to you? Are you afraid to say that? It's yours, right? After all, you hold it. Yes. So when it comes to thoughts and feelings and opinions and needs, we have this natural tendency in us to just go right there with ours first. That creates this downstream current that makes it difficult for us to build these rich and lasting relationships in marriage. Now God has an answer for it. It's found in four words 
And it's found in Ephesians chapter 5, and you'll see it up here on the screen. Submit to one another. So I broke out our boxes that I was, that I have used before when it comes to, to teaching about this word submission. And there's a way in which this word submission means to put somebody's interests above yours. But when it comes to communication, we're going to look at it a little bit differently, okay? Because one of the things that, that Paul is teaching us is about priorities. And before I get into those, I want you to think with me for just a minute about the word priority. When he says submit to one another, he's talking about priorities. What's the smaller word inside priorities? Prior. Prior has nothing to do with importance, which is what we oftentimes think of priorities. I put the most important things up here. Prior literally has to do with timing. It means what I do first. A couple days ago, I mixed up some cookies and baked them. Here's something you need to know when when you're baking cookies. The order in which you do the different steps makes a big difference. Write this down in the margin of your notes, okay? Order affects outcome. Okay? So if you're going to bake cookies, and you start, and you put your two and a half cups of flour in a big mixing bowl, and you turn on your KitchenAid on high speed, you are not going to like what you get. Right? So you think, that's not working very well. I'm going to dump my eggs in there. So you dump your eggs in there. And then you think, well, that's not working very well. That's sort of an icky, sticky, gooey, powdery stuff. I'm going to dump in my butter in there. And then I'm going to throw in a little baking soda. And then if you do that, please invite someone else to sample. Because those cookies will be awful. You have all the right stuff. You just went about it in the wrong order. Order affects outcome. When we get to levels three, four, and five in our conversation, we're going to find out that order affects the outcome. Now, because I'm a human being, this is actually very difficult for me to remember. Because I'm a human being, My natural tendency is to enter into every deep conversation with a deep desire to be understood. Anybody with me in that? Yes. One of our biggest fears is that I won't be understood. I won't be seen. I won't be heard. This person is going to run right over the top of me. So we go in and we stake out our territory because we want to be understood. And then, if we're honest... We think, if I can be understood, hopefully I can understand. You know what that really means? If I can really be understood, my spouse will understand it my way. We're convinced of it. Because after all, I'm right. If I didn't think I was right, I wouldn't hold this opinion, correct? That's where we are. When Paul wrote and said, submit to one another, he was actually saying, put these the other way. If we would go into a conversation 
with a deep desire to understand what our husband or wife is actually feeling, what they're actually sensing, what they're actually trying to say, what their fears are, what, what their anxieties are, what their needs are. If we would devote ourselves to trying to understand them, there's an amazing thing that happens. In the process of trying to understand them, we end up being understood. It's just natural when we get this first. And that's the big idea number one. It's going to take you a while to sit on it. And I can tell you from personal experience, that's a very difficult concept for me to remember in the heat of the moment. Okay? But here's the big idea. The key, seeking to understand, is the key to being understood. Would you read that out loud with me? Let's say it together. Seeking to understand is the key to being understood. Is that natural for us? No, it's not. But it's absolutely true. Okay? Let's go to the second reason why everything worthwhile is upstream, and that is we have a personal enemy. As I said earlier, some of you are thinking, I know, I'm married to them. No, no. Two guys who were trained by Jesus, Peter and Paul, two of the most famous guys in the Bible. I want to read you a quote from each of them. We'll start with Peter. Peter says, stay alert. In other words, you've got to be paying attention. Watch out for your great enemy. You actually have an enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I don't have time to really delve into that text. I'm just going to say this. If, if you got your eyes open, you understand you have an enemy. That's what Peter is saying to you. Paul says the same thing here in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. That sounds like a setting for a sci-fi horror film, does it not? Yeah. Yeah. What, What Peter and Paul are both saying to you is you have an enemy you cannot see. And, you know, life is tough enough. You're swimming upstream but the enemy keeps generating a current going downstream and keeps accelerating that current. And if we don't know that and understand how he works, then we become a sitting duck. Now here's how this ties in to these conversations. Because oftentimes our enemy does not come at us through the front door. I'm amazed at how many times Christians will come to me and they'll make some offhand comment like, oh my goodness, I got left for work late. And wouldn't you know it? Satan has been so busy. Every light on the way to work was red. He's just against me. You know what I want to say? That's giving Satan way too much credit. Let me lay something on you. The reason you were late for work is you left late. Yeah. We oftentimes think 
that the way the enemy comes against us is through opposition. Not so. That's the front door. That would be too obvious. The way that Satan usually comes against us is through the back door. That back door is called temptation. The most common way that Satan interacts with you and me is through temptation. And after you write the word temptation, I want you to put in parentheses these two words, suggested narrative. You see, what's going on in your stream of consciousness and sometimes in your stream of unconsciousness is you are weaving a story about everything that's happening in your life. It's how we make it through this life. So when people do things in your mind, you're automatically writing a narrative about why they're doing that. You're driving down the road and the person in front of you is driving very slow and frankly, they're irritating you and then an amazing thing happens. They pull off to the side of the road and they let you pass. And you think, oh, how nice of them. What you didn't know is that something was going on in their car and they had to pull over to the side of the road anyway, anyhow, and they could care less about the fact that they were holding you up. But you have assigned to them this beautiful narrative. As beautiful as the bad narrative was before they pulled over. You just changed your narrative based upon something you saw but motives that you could not actually verify at all. All the way through life, you and I are writing these stories. When we get into a conversation with our spouse, and our spouse says something that's less than desirable to us, might not even be about us, but less than desirable to us, we start writing a story. This is where Satan comes in the back door. Satan has the ability to suggest narratives to you. And when you and I buy in, we fall in the trap. He can't make you draw a conclusion. Satan can't actually make you do anything. But he has the ability to suggest narratives to you. Think about the very first sin where Eve is in the garden and she eats, she's about ready to eat from the wrong tree. Let me just give you that story in a nutshell. Satan comes into the garden and says to Eve, Hey Eve, can you eat from every tree in the garden? And Eve goes, Yeah, we can. He said, No, no, you can't. How about that tree in the middle of the garden? Well, that one we can't eat from. He said, Now listen, here's his suggested narrative. Do you want to know why God won't let you eat from that tree? Uh, yeah. He doesn't want you to be like him. Suggested narrative. What did Eve do with that? She bought him. Yeah. That's the most common way that Satan interacts with us. Let's go back to the story of the red lights. Satan suggested a narrative to you that he had power over the traffic lights. 
and you thought he had been really busy. Do you really think Satan controls the traffic signals in your town? No. I had somebody come up after first service and say, they're all red when they turn like that. I said, did you look closely? Were there any little horns coming out the head? No, you see, Satan suggests these narratives, and the more we buy into it, the more he gets to play with us. And he can take a beautiful and wonderful conversation that you and your spouse are to be having at some very deep level, and all of a sudden it can just turn sideways. Sometimes it turns sideways because we go into it with the wrong attitude, and sometimes it turns sideways because somewhere in the middle we write a narrative. That's not a good one. So here's big idea number two. Oh, I got to teach you one other thing, okay? The most common way that Satan interacts with us is through temptation. But here's something you need to know Satan usually crafts his narratives around motives, not facts. Couples rarely disagree on facts. What we disagree on is what they mean and why they are that way. It's all about motives. And that's where Satan's narratives come in. So big idea number two is this. We need to be aware and prepare. When you're sitting in a conversation and you find yourself thinking this, I know why she's saying what she's saying. Red flag. Okay? That's a suggested narrative from not a very good source. That's your enemy. Just planting ideas. And by the way, he's never short on ideas. Have you noticed that? No. They come up, he'll pop a bunch of different ones up in the course of a conversation. So be aware, identify those narratives, and reject them. You say, that sounds like a lot of work. Well, I have good news for you. Here's how these two points tie in together. You know the best way to insulate yourself from Satan's narratives? Stay in this mode. The more that you try to understand what your spouse is saying, the less likely you are to buy into a poor narrative about them. It doesn't give Satan room to actually work in your life. So there are three ways that we can apply this teaching today. Okay? And the first one is an invitation that we give every single Sunday that anyone in our audience could and should choose to become a follower of Jesus. The Bible word for that is Christian, to start this relationship with Jesus. I want to explain to you why that's so important. I said to you earlier that when you and I were created, we were created as image bearers of God, that we carry the image of God in us. That makes us wonderful, that makes us precious, that makes us valuable, but it doesn't necessarily make us powerful. 
And in this struggle of life, where we have a real enemy who is unseen to us, but who is more powerful than we are, we need a strength on the inside that is greater than our enemies. And God says, I have just the thing for you. I will take my spirit and put it inside you. So the Apostle John would write to the followers of Christ and be able to say to them, greater is he that is in you than the one who is in this world coming against you. The question is, how do you get the Spirit of God in you? And the answer is, by choosing to be adopted into his family. By choosing to become a Christian. And when we choose to follow Christ, God takes his spirit and puts his spirit inside us. I wrote in my notes, when it comes to the great struggle of life, you can't afford to go it alone. And the way you choose to become a follower of Christ is you choose to accept what Jesus did when he died for you on the cross and recognize that Jesus made a way for you to be rightly related to God to have your sins forgiven, and for the Spirit of God to come and live inside you. But that's a choice that you have to make on your own. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer in a minute. And if you want to make that choice, there's no better time to make it than today. If you want to make that choice, I'm going to ask you to repeat that simple prayer. And then on your Connect card, write down, I made that choice uh, because we want to pray for you this week. And on the way out the door, it's uh, actually that door just to the left. There's a basket, and inside the basket are, are some large envelopes. Those are actually packets for people who make first-time decisions for Christ. There, there's a, there's a, a, a short portion of the Bible in there we want to give to you. It's called The Story of Jesus, and you're going to read through his life in seven days. Uh, it's thrilling. You'll love it. It's going to read like a novel. Um, but you're going to get to know Jesus. There's a couple of other things that are in there that will help you get started right. Uh, so if you're ready to make that decision, I'll lead you in a prayer in a minute. The second thing is this. We have a skill to practice this week. And the skill is this. I'm going to work on listening and asking before sharing. That helps with this. Now listen, when you're asking questions, no loaded questions. That's not trying to understand. You can't ask a question of your spouse that basically means, so what you're really telling me is you're an idiot? I'm having a hard, help me understand how you can be so idiotic. That's not actually going to get you where you want to go. Got it? Okay. So we're going to listen and we're going to ask insightful questions before we share. That'll be harder to do than it might sound like right here. Then the third thing is this. Some of you are going to want to go the extra mile and say, hmm, I realize that's not really natural for me. I actually need to be a better listener. So I did some research and I found a wonderful resource that will help you become a better listener. And there are 10 actual principles that you can start to put to use in your life. So if you want to make an investment in your own ability to listen, 
then you check that on the back of your card, and I'll send you a link to that resource this week. You can go look it up, and you can start actually working on 10 skills that will help you become a better listener. Sound good and practical? Awesome. All right. Now, if you're ready to choose to follow Christ, let's all bow our heads, and here's the prayer that you pray. Dear God, today I'm choosing to become a Christian. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. I ask you now, God, to send the Holy Spirit into my life because I'm choosing to be your child. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.